0: Welcome to Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm Sally Christie, broadcasting from my home studio, um, and I'm your host as Paul Anthony Nelson is away. Joining me in the virtual studio is the wonderful Flick Ford. How are you, Flick? I'm good, Sal. How are you doing? Good. And we have a very special guest, Dr. Stuart Richards, or Stewie Richards. How are you, Stewie? (laughs) Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. All the way from Adelaide, where you're a bit freer than we are here.
2: (laughs) We have pubs. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember that. don't remember the pub. So, seeing as we are still looking at retrospective films, we're going to be celebrating three iconic Australian films, also known as The Glitter Cycle, which are Strictly Ballroom, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Muriel's Wedding. But before we get into these films, we'll have a look at this week's film news. Genre film star John Saxon passed away over the weekend. He was 83. So he was discovered by the same agent who launched the careers of Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter. Saxon first Got, uh, became noticed for his performance as a disturbed high school footballer who taunts Esther Williams in the unguarded moment, in 1956. Saxon appeared in such classics such as *A Nightmare on Elm Street*, *Black Christmas*, *Enter the Dragon*, and of course Dario Argento's *Tenebrae*, which is where our theme music comes from. Um, He had almost 200 acting credits to his name. He had a massive, massive career. Yeah, he was, you know, yeah, popped up in everything. So, yes, very, very good innings there, John Saxon. And this morning we received the sad news, but again, another amazing career, that Olivia de Havilland, who was considered one of the last surviving actresses of the golden age of Hollywood, died at 104 years of age. So she passed away from natural causes at her home in Paris where she had lived for more than 60 years. Um, De Havilland first drew attention by playing opposite Errol Flynn in a series of films starting in the 1930s um, and made a huge impression as the southern belle Melanie in Gone with the Wind. So I think De Havilland had something about 60 credits to her name but, yeah, pretty, she was a very, very important you Know with changing the studio system, lots of great stuff coming from De Havilland. Does anyone have any particular favorites from her? Stewie? I or Flick Flick. Oh, go no. Go. no, go for it, Stewie.
2: Oh, sure. Um, well, I am planning on seeing Lady in a Cage this weekend. The
0: good one, yes. Uh,
2: yeah, actually, I've, I haven't seen it Yes. Yeah, uh, so I'm, on Twitter, I've seen quite a few people post. Uh, about Lady uh, in a Cage. And so I'm going to watch that this weekend yep. to much.
1: Beautiful. Oh, that was my pick as well. I've, I think it was the same thing where lots of people were posting it. And I was like, I don't know this film. <laughs> I, I love it.
0: I think my <laughs> favorite role of hers would be um, Hush Hush Sweet, uh, Sweet Charlotte, which was one of her, um, one of the great uh, Bette Davis Hagsploitation films directed by Robert Aldrich in 1964. But um, I love her in that role. It's an excellent one. But yeah, she's got such a, a big career, didn't she also try to sue Ryan Murphy
1: a couple of years ago? Oh, really? Did she? I think so she lot? did with um
0: Feud with the um, yeah, good on her, yeah, her portrayal in that. And she was, yeah, I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. Should have looked this up before the show, but I'm sure she was <laughs> unhappy with the way that she was portrayed on Feud and she tried to sue Ryan Murphy for it.
1: Amazing, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just impressed that she got to what was it, 104? 104, Six. like it's yeah, it's very, incredible.
0: Um, so, yes, another, yeah, very, very good innings contributing lots to um, cinematic culture. Also, um, last Tuesday, the Melbourne International Film Festival, aka MIF, launched their 2020 programme. Uh, for the first time since 1952, MIF won't be happening in Melbourne's cinemas. So, instead, from August 6th to 23rd, the entire program, which consisting of 113 films, including 12 world premieres, 83 Australian premieres and 44 shorts will stream online. So as per usual, here at Primal Screen, we will be dedicating two weeks to MIF. Um, always when, I know the program is a little small this year, but I still always feel completely overwhelmed with the MIF
1: program. Oh, I'm <laughs> the same. I've got a spreadsheet and I've I also got an ongoing email chain and yep. then I've got a memo thing on my phone just like as it occurs to yes. me, sort of little notes.
0: Has, has um, anyone got any, any fa- things that they're really looking forward to with MIF this year?
1: I've got a few. Um what is it called? Looky looky, here comes cookie. Yes. Um Stephen Oliver is an absolute gem. Um uh-huh. a fantastic um performance he did for um what was it? The oh I can't even remember now. Um anyway, oh, it was the Nadoc um award speech in twenty fifteen. Yep. I highly recommend you go back and check that out. But mm-hmm. um that one and what else was there? Oh gosh, I've got my I've got too many spreadsheets open. Uh Black Bear. <laughs> looks really amazing. Uh-huh. I'm keen to see that. Um, also, what else do I have on there? Um, Ema? Emma? Is that how you pronounce it? E-M-A? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: I'm looking forward to that one too. Mm. I keep on seeing that name and thinking it's Emu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the same. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm looking forward to No Hard Feelings, which is a German film, yep. uh, and the documentary Welcome to Chechnya. Uh-huh. Uh, which uh, I've heard a lot about. Uh, it's about the, um, I guess, the, the murdering of gay men in Chechnya, um, wow. which is a pretty powerful doco. they go going to cover um, there, I'm told. Uh, that so I'm sounds great,
0: Stewie. I'm going to yeah. definitely check that one out for sure. Yeah, I'm really looking really
2: forward of to that, that one. one. And, of course, First Cow.
1: I oh, know. Yeah, I had that on my list as well. Yeah. I think we're all going to be watching that. Yeah.
2: One. I'm like one of the only people on this planet that wasn't a fan of certain women.
1: Whoops! <gasps> uh, oh, yeah.
2: The controversy. Is, yeah. I, I had like a really belligerent tweet about it when Nif was on, and embarrassingly, that tweet ended up on their tweet
0: on the screen. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and like for the, rest of the, <laughs> the next week, everyone was just saying to me, "You didn't like certain women." What's wrong with
0: you? <laughs> oh my god, that, that Stewie, that's hilarious. I love it. everyone. Always wants their tweets to be on the screen at me, and you got a shady one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Shame on me. I deserve. Oh,
0: it. And once I think I'm really looking forward to La Lorna, which is a Spanish horror film, and also um, German sci-fi film. The Trouble with Being Born looks pretty interesting as well. So. Yeah, lots lots to take in. Okay, so now to the Glitter Cycle. So I'd heard this first from Stewie when we were discussing what we should do on the show, but the Glitter Cycle it has been used to refer to Australian films from the 1990s that celebrated popular culture in an effort to break out from the high culture, small audience cinematic identity that the Australian Film Commission had contributed to creating in the 1970s and 80s. The Glitter Cycle films focus on protagonists who are empowered to change their circumstances and free themselves from social and family conditions that restrict them and entrap them. They're also bright, sparkly, have lots of ABBA songs and even more Bill Hunter
1: um so the first film that we're going to look at from you the, could actually be mistaken for thinking we've done a bill hunter trilogy i know <laughs> i forgot that he was in strictly ballroom and yeah. i was like, oh, in all of them
0: so the first one that we're going to look at tonight is baz Luhrmann's 1992 directorial debut strictly Ballroom. that's looking good
1: uh what are you doing here
0: oh i i, I just
1: how long have you been here
0: two years uh i was just looking for someone
1: everyone's gone home
0: Yeah, I know. It's just I've got this idea. Like,
1: I mean, it's, um, it's, I want to try to, I want to dance with you.
0: Based on Baz Luhrmann's successful stage play, Strictly Ballroom is the story of 21-year-old ballroom dancer Scott Hastings, played by Paul Mercurio. Scott pairs with the apparently left-footed local girl, Fran, played by Tara Morris, when his maverick style earns him the disdain of his more conventionally-minded colleagues. Together, Scott and Fran give it their all in the hope of dancing their own steps at the Pan Pacific Grand Prix. (laughs) Made on a budget of $3 million, Strictly Ballroom made $80 million at the Australian box office and launched um, Lerman's Career and also his partner and set designer Catherine Martins. Flick, this was your pick and kind of got us rolling on doing the Glitter Cycle tonight. So tell us your thoughts on Strictly Ballroom. Why do you love it?
1: Well, I've, um, it's a film I grew up on. I got, yeah. um, you know, we used to have it on all the time at my house and uh, it was just so thrilling watching it as a child and especially a very awkward uh, child, not unlike Fran. Uh, so I, I really resonated with with her as a character when I was a little kid. And um, and it still holds true today. <laughs> I watched it the other night and I thought, yeah, I'm on Team Fran. Uh, look, I, I just love this film. It's got so much heart. And I think a big part of Australian cinema, can, you know, a lot of it can be a little bit depressing and especially a lot of the films I like are usually uh, pretty bleak. So this is just a little gem in that um, otherwise uh, rather dire landscape. Uh, and actually all the films we're going to be watching tonight yeah. are are true to that um I just love it I think that there's it's such a fantastically creative film it opens with this mockumentary style um the characters are so larger than life the, the costumes themselves are so over the top and it actually tells so much about the characters themselves and I, I kind of love that there's that wonderful partnership between Catherine and Baz here that you you get to see on screen um mm-hmm. So it's such a unique film and one of the things I love most about Lumen as a director is that he has this ability to create romance and, and love on screen in a very um, PG way <laughs> but yep, yep. In, in a in a really honest and human way as well. And I think that often that's just through these little exchanges and you can see that in Romeo and Juliet where there's this beautiful, you know, the the famous kind of aquarium scene where he's capturing something very... Um, universal to human experience and, and it's through that exchange of looks and this vulnerability but also tenderness and this sweetness to it and it's just a it's a beautiful crush film like Fran is kind of obviously um, falling for Scott and she's such an unlikely character and there's a the, you know there's a whole host of films in this genre of kind of like ugly duckling and then they take off her yeah. glasses and she's suddenly beautiful <laughs> but I, I think this is one of the films where it, you They really do stand on the dance floor as equals, and um she she does kind of have this awkwardness and goofiness to her, but she also is a, there's a whole backstory to her that is so rich and and part of that is in how well the film has been constructed, you know the set design and Carl and I were talking um, earlier today about the fact that there's this like the train the train line behind it, and you get this sense of of um Melbourne and and that sort of space. So it's a wonderful film to explore for a spotlight on Aussie cinema. Um and just such a fascinating film to dive into. Like Paul Mercurio is amazing. Like he's he was taught as a he was a ballerina but um actually uh did a huge amount of workshops and and boot camps in order to train up for the role. Um, and for the final dance scene he had a sprained ankle. Like what a champ. Just, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And just one more note is: this is also edited by Jill Bilcock, who is an exceptional editor. Mm-hmm. And there's a fantastic doco on her work, which I highly recommend everyone check
0: out. Yeah, we we, ha- we had a, we looked a, a lot at that doco on um, Plato's Cave when it was released, and all the kind of interesting work that she did to, um, I guess, enhance those crowd scenes because it was Lerman's first um, film. But yeah, she's yeah integral to his work. Yeah, yeah, that we did cover that
2: documentary yeah. I think two years ago and there's yep. some really great footage in it of uh, the team behind this film in like a Brunswick share house uh, preparing. Yeah,
0: with um, them to- editing Romeo and Juliet in a Brunswick yeah. share house, which is just so fascinating.
1: Yep. Oh, and also, <laughs> sorry, slight correction. <laughs> I said Melbourne, not it's Sydney. <laughs> it's filmed in. I think I just had Melbourne on my brain. <laughs>
2: But that that train scene you were talking about, flick. Uh, there's a really uh, great moment where the um, like the beat of the train starts to mix into the music, which mm. I really love. And when I was revisiting this last night, I, f- I forgot how like technically playful yeah. it is as yeah. well. Like opening with that mockumentary style. He uses a lot of uh, split diopters, which Brian De Palma does a lot in a lot of his films where the mm-hmm. the foreground and background are both in focus, which is really lovely. Um, and uh, like you, Flick, I also uh, identified with Fran a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is really her film.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah it I, mean,
2: is. I know it is about Paul and his family, but... Um, I think she's really the heart and soul of the film. She brings that empathy, and what I really love about this film is that her family they could so easily be a parody, and they mm-hmm. could so easily be uh the butt of a lot of jokes like when or
1: stereotypes
2: or yeah. stereotypes, like when Fran's mother comes in and starts dancing and beats on his chest, there's no kind of awkwardness about that it's there's a real i guess tenderness. Between these characters meeting, so yeah, I think it's a really lovely film. Um, I must say, I I think it's my favourite Baz Luhrmann film. Um,
1: I I think to pick a fave. yeah,
2: yeah. I like I I I only like his Red uh, Red Curtain trilogy.
0: You Uh, know what? I don't think I've seen anything past that. To be completely honest. I haven't yeah. seen Australia. I haven't seen um, the Great Gap. Great
1: skin. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like um, either of those other two films. So, so I should
0: just, sit. I just should just stay where just I I
1: Stick here. to the curtain trilogy, yeah,
0: because <laughs> I love them all. The hey, great,
2: well, yeah. So like when I think of Baz Luhrmann, um, I sort of for me, it is the Red Curtain trilogy. Uh, I think these are such a lovely films, and mm. yeah, I really, yeah, I enjoyed this one. It was a good pick flick.
0: It was. It was also. Uh, this had been. A long time since I'd seen this film, like you, Flick, I grew up on this movie. Mm-hmm. I loved it so dearly as a child and re-watching it, just knowing where all the lines fell, even though it had been years and years since I'd seen it. Um, and obviously being really familiar with, I guess, Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge, it just it's so nice to see how where he started out from and it still has that same, I guess, essence and we see exactly what he's going to go for. Um, it was interesting, like looking into this film. That initially, when they pitched it, they were going to get a bigger budget. And because he was a first-time director, um, they had said no. Uh, get it? You know, you need you need a seasoned director to do this. And everyone said, "Wow, well, we'll get a lower budget then." So they settled for less money so that they could have Lerman working on the film, um, which you know is so vital to it. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Stewie. I think that Fran is the heart and soul of this film and also the way that this film looks at, I guess, multiculturalism in Australia is really gorgeous. So we've got Fran that comes from an immigrant background um, and we saw a, you know, a few of the films coming out in the 90s looking at this, like looking um, for Alabrandi Brandy head mm-hmm. on. Um, and, yeah, just the way that her... Scott couldn't achieve what he wanted to without that um, that multiculturalism mm. coming in and showing him this the way that, it you know, You're these so two right, cultures Al. need to merge. Yeah, and it's a celebration of it yep. rather. Than, and I really love yeah. that. And I think that that aspect of this film often gets overlooked. Mm. And, yeah, it was a point I think in Australian cinema where we were getting a few more of these stories. There still weren't mm. a lot but there were a few more. And, yeah, Strictly Borum handles it in such a gorgeous way.
1: And there's also, it's kind of interesting that Scott is almost presented as the spectacle. And it's really interesting with the pasodoble, like the main dance sequence that they perform. Um, both uh, her father and Scott have this role as being sort of almost the more dominant role in that dance. It's not the woman as spectacle there, the, the male partner does have a lot more performativity which is really interesting yeah, and I right. suppose something we're going to be talking about a lot uh for the other films but <laughs> I thought that was really interesting how just that switch and you don't see it much and you re- when you see it you're like oh wow that's just something yep. that often we don't get to see on the screen so mm. especially for a film made in the early 90s it's incredibly um oh uh, I don't know trailblazing yeah that, it is in that it's, respect
0: such a yeah, joyous, gorgeous film. Like yeah, it was a real joy going back and watching this, and I highly recommend if you go back and vi- visit it. It's and the final str- scene. <laughs> I know,
1: so beautiful.
0: Yep.
2: It it's is. so powerful. It's great. It really
0: is. Yeah. Um, so, if you are wanting to revisit Strictly Borum, or if you're wanting to see it for the first time, it is currently streaming on iView. I think only for a couple more weeks. So, I think to mid August. So, getting quick and watch that. Um, you are listening to Primal Screen on three triple R.
2: Triple R on RRR. FM RRR. Digital Online via the app.
0: You're listening to Primal Screen on 3RRR with Flick Ford, Stewie Richards and myself, Sally Christie. We're discussing an important move, um, an important moment Sorry, in Australian cinema, it's the glitter cycle. So we uh, previously discussed Strictly Ballroom and next up is The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert.
1: Hello. Could I please have
2: a stallion tonic? A Bloody Mary and a lime daiquiri, please.
1: Well, look what the cat
2: dragged in.
0: The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is director as Stefan Elliott's second feature film. It's the story of three drag queens played by Hugo Weaving, Terrence Stamp and Guy Pearce, who accept a contract to perform a drag show at a resort in Alice Springs. As they head west from Sydney aboard their lavender bus, Priscilla, the three friends come to the forefront of a comedy of errors encountering encountering a number of strange characters as well as incidents of homophobia and transphobia, so whilst widening their comfort zones and finding new horizons. Um, Stewie, tell us a little bit about the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert.
2: Uh, so I love this film, obviously, um, but at the same time, I don't think it's aged very well. Um, I think there are some elements that I love. I mean, this came out in 1994 when in some parts of the country it was still illegal to be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, Tasmania, I don't think, they criminalized homosexuality until 97. Um yeah. So that's pretty wild that this film was such a triumph of Australian cinema when, um, you know, it was still against the law to be gay, basically. Um, So I love that fact, but at the same time I think um, the character of Cynthia I have a lot of issue with. Uh, She's uh, Bill Hunter's uh, Asian wife Mm -hmm, um, and she's such a stereotype that I mean, like when you're on this, when you're watching the film and you're loving it, there are so many wonderful moments and then we meet her and it really pulls me out of it because mm. I, I don't think that could happen today. Um, but- I
0: don't know. I, I find it interesting the way that Stefan Elliott deals with stereotypes and writes stereotypes Um as he did in his film following up to this Welcome to Whoop Whoop. And he, I don't I feel like he has a he really wants to display a certain vulgarness and um, that is Australia and is in our attitudes. And um he's definitely doing that through these, the way that Cynthia is received by everyone else in the film. But yeah, you're right, she's a stereotype. But I feel that yeah, he works on stereotypes. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I think though, when so much of the cast is white, uh, with the exception of the Aboriginal characters they meet mm-hmm. along the way, um, yeah, I, I think maybe that stereotype isn't as successful as maybe the others in the yep. film. Mm-hmm. Um, though interestingly, Julia Cortez went on to play Rita Repulsa in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. <laughs> um, Huge!
0: Um, <laughs> I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, and also another one, like watching this back, um, there is, uh, I guess, the trans character played by Terence Stamp and there is a lot of, I think, transphobic language, even though in a loving way, um, thrown at that character. Um, And I think when you do have a cisgender actor, male actor playing her, um, I I just, yeah, like that also just doesn't really sit well with me.
1: I think, I think that is one of the oh sorry go on flick go on. Flick. I was just going to say I think that is one of the difficulties this this film faces is the casting of three uh cis uh, straight men in the roles of of two uh drag drag queens and a trans woman and I think that that is a something that probably wouldn't happen if it was going to be made today hopefully yeah. you'd like to think. Um, and it does seem to kind of jar against that. Did you did you have a similar feeling, Sally? Sorry,
0: I've been thinking a lot about Terence um, Stamp's character Bernadette um, today, and the portrayal of that you know having Terence Stamp in the role of a transgender woman you would hope wouldn't happen now, but back in 1994 it did, and um, that excellent documentary,
1: see Transparent, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, that excellent documentary that came out last month on Netflix, Disclosure, really sort of looks at this, actually doesn't touch on Priscilla at all. But as a representation, I guess, of a trans person in that film, she it's a pretty interesting representation, I think, the way that uh, – she doesn't seem to be the butt of anybody's jokes or anything like that. She has a, the most interesting relationship, which also doesn't seem to be played for laughs. Mm. Well, that's kind of not how, how I took it, her relationship um, yes. with Bill Hunter in it. Um, so th- it's, it's, but it is that kind of thing where we we do have, you know, a cis male playing a uh, mm. trans woman in it, which is, you know, yeah.
1: Mm. It's, a, it's a difficult, yeah. yeah I I am. Um, I think Bernadette is my favourite character mm. in this in this film. So it's kind of um it's a bit confusing because it's just like, yeah, I, I can understand why um, there would be people would take issue of the fact that um you know you've got a, you've got Terence um playing her, but I love Terence Stamp in this role so much. Oh, so it's, a, it's he's kind he's of great. a difficult yeah. um thing he's, to get over.
0: Great. And he's the I, most sort of solid. Um, sound character in the film the one that's <laughs> kind of got their shit together yeah. the most and yeah. yeah
1: well they um there's a great interview with Stefan elliott who talks about in order to get funding they had to secure it. they had to at least have one big name in so terence stamp at the time um very much playing against tamp uh type was um was secured for the role so it's kind of an, an interesting um story as to, to how that how he contributed to the film. But just as a as an actor, he, he's so amazing. I actually ended up on this deep dive after um, watching this film of um, photos of Terence and uh, Jean Shrimpton. Um, they're a very beautiful couple. Um, but after she broke up with him, he took a 10-year hiatus from acting. So, uh, yeah, I got stuck in that rabbit <laughs> hole. <laughs> Um anyway that aside look i um this is another film that I watched as a child, and i think um as far as uh it being the first i think on screen representation of a trans experience of sorts um and um possibly like the first mainstream um representation of drag drag queens for for as a young child so i um it's definitely really um pioneering in that respect I do agree though with you Stewie I felt extremely uncomfortable re-watching um The Cynthia's portrayal as this kind of like, it's just so over the top. And I get what you mean, Sal, about the, and I think that's a nice way to look at it, like think about Elliot's broader filmography and the way in which he plays with these ideas of vulgarity. I think it is just unfortunate that it's like the the Filipino male bride also has to be this kind of like sex crazed, um, ping pong popping, um, kind of misfit alcoholic. And it's kind of, it's a shame that um, the film, in order to prop up these um, interesting, really fascinating queer narratives relies on um, racism and um, I think quite a lot of sexism, but like low-level sexism as well in part. So it's interesting just looking at the film through a more modern lens. Um, At the time, though, I do think that this was so... Um, empowering at the time. And I'm yeah. you know, I'm saying that as a cis straight woman, but I, I remember watching it as a kid and just feeling like I hadn't seen these characters, and particularly Bernadette, like her story is so powerful. And there are moments where it taps into some of the very real um, you know, issues that have come up, you know, the discrimination they face, but also there's this, you know, the bus that is so iconic to this, you know, queer road movie is. Painted with um, "AIDS fuckers go home," like that. That that moment
0: is heartbreaking. Mm. Every time I watch this film, that moment is completely heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, cuts deep. And I think that. Mm. Yeah, I I know that uh, some of the criticisms around the time were that it didn't go deeper into that, but I think there's so much um, other and intertextual material around that that I think that just flagging it is actually a bit of a nod to that really um complicated history and painful history so I think that uh, there's some there's a lot of strength to this film and it was really like it's also just a joy to watch it is really (laughs) (laughs) enjoyable I um there's a great um the, the costumes are so elaborate and they had this surprisingly low budget they're like twenty thousand dollars they spent on costumes like the infamous um thong dress is just yeah. made made from um thongs from target and it's just 17 and it bucks like
0: 60 bucks or yeah. something no like 17
1: it it's 7 really two dollars yeah
0: <laughs> it's lizzie gardner that did the the costume design yes. isn't it? Yeah. And they yeah. and she, for it as well
1: yes yeah and she famously wore that dress made out of um american express credit cards oh, that was <laughs> Was it originally
0: going to be in Priscilla,
1: yeah, yeah, and then it
0: wasn't for whatever. So
1: iconic, and yeah. also just as a, a Mad Max fan, um, the designer who did the um, cars for um, Mad Max Fury Road is also the same designer who created this oh, wow. fantastic uh, yeah. um, lavender school bus. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow.
0: That's yeah, great. I
2: think the I think the humour in the film is really, really quite smart because obviously they wanted to appeal to a broader Australian market, um, and if you look at the language they're using, it's very similar to Crocodile Dundee and mm-hmm. a lot of these ochre bloke uh, comedies that uh, were very popular in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So when we come along to Priscilla Queen of the Desert, a lot of the jokes that they're making and that vulgarity. Um, is very, very sort of familiar, I think, to a lot of audiences. Um, it's just that they're in dresses, mm. um, which I think is quite smart uh, from a screenwriting
0: perspective. Absolutely.
1: And subverting. 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 Oh, sorry. Um, what happened there? <laughs> I don't know. So we're having a, a bit of a technical issue, but it seems <laughs> to be okay now. It's okay sorry, now. Oh, but... <laughs> That was so horrifying hearing my own voice. <laughs> Um, I was gonna say also the subversion of the road movie, which is, you know, traditionally pretty uh hetero and and pretty blokey. And um just kind of really taking that to such an interesting place. Apparently the idea of it came from seeing a, a feather from a feather boa um dancing across um the red dirt. So that's
0: pretty beautiful. Pretty I poetic. This was um I was ten when this came out and I was, I went to visit my nana in Queensland and she took me to the movies and we went to see Priscilla. And um, after it finished, she just said to me, well, they swore a bit too much in that movie, didn't they? And it was <laughs> it's a really gorgeous memory I have of my nana. Um, but I think this would have been not only the first sort of representation of um, uh, uh, seeing, you know, a trans person on screen or seeing drag queens on screen. I think this was the first time that I ha- had seen an Australian road film at that age. I think this was my first Australian road film and um you know getting being able to see parts of Australia that I'd never even knew existed and the vastness of it that had a really big impact on me seeing this movie is just going that bit where they get out of the out of Priscilla and they look around and they just go shit because there's nothing yeah. around for such a long time it's like wow you know that's you know where i live but yeah this movie is it's it's so much fun it it is absolutely, I, I don't know, I really love re-watching this one. I, I understand what you're both saying. There are things, you know, that things change over time and I'm sure if this was made again, well, I'd like to hope that things would be look a little different with it. But um, it's interesting looking through at the different people that they had in mind for casting for this film and some of them that I go, God, I would love to have seen that. <laughs> like, um tim curry in parent stamps role
1: can you imagine
0: oh my god i'd love to see that and um who else i think there was jason donovan in guy pierce's role um but also
1: also i was gonna say it's quite powerful having bill hunter as the romantic interest for bernadette at a time when bill hunter um as we've learned was fucking big Big news mm-hmm. in the Australian cinema scene, and and for a very particular role, kind of this yep. staunch blokey, yep, the, um, yep. the Aussie guy, bigoted. yeah, yep. yeah, and mm-hmm. so teaming him with Bernadette, I think, is a yep. really beautiful yeah. pairing, that and kind quite of a transgressive pairing.
0: Yeah, I, I think that too. That kind of red-faced white Australian, you know, pub goer. I, I find his uh, storyline with Bernadette really powerful. I always have. It's not moving, Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that. It could have quite easily been played for laughs, and it absolutely was not. It was really sweet and really tender, and um, sort of, I guess, no issue with his character going into that relationship either. It didn't seem like it was, you know, an issue for him, which of course it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And but in 90s cinema, We'd probably see it played that way. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy their storyline in this film.
1: Also, one but thing that's one
2: of, thing that I really sorry. Um, that's one thing that I really love about these glitter cycle films is we saw that with Fran, we see that with Bernadette and the and mm. uh, the other characters in this film, and we see it with Muriel in the next film we're going to talk about. That we do have these underdog characters that, if this film perhaps was made in the eighties or a bit earlier, they would have been the butt of jokes. Mm. Yes, uh, definitely. In this yeah. period, uh, there's a new sympathy for an empathy for these characters, and we're not laughing at them. Mm. Um, which I think maybe even perhaps some of the, I guess, more off off color <laughs> jokes in this film, uh, we're still not really laughing at them.
0: No, not at all. Mm. Yeah, there's. That's so true. That kind of as yeah you're completely right stewie that yeah it does it seems to kind of capture that moment where yeah if you're right if this had been made in the 80s it would have definitely been all up for laughs
1: and also some of the jokes are pretty dark there's a um hint of some childhood trauma that um, they managed to get (laughs) they managed to get some lols out of
0: i think there was more of that like quite a lot more of that in there and it was cut from the film from what i've i've read um so, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, if you are wanting to revisit or see it for the first time, it is available to rent or buy on iTunes and Google Play. RRR. You're listening to Primal Screen on 3 R with Flick Ford, Stewie Richards and myself, Sally Christie.
1: Stick your drink up your ass, Tanya. I would rather swallow razor blades than drink with you. Oh, by the way, oh.
0: I'm not alone.
1: I'm with Muriel.
0: Socially awkward Muriel Heslop, played by Tony Collette, wants nothing more than to get married. She's ostracised by her um, friends that we just heard, and Muriel runs into a fellow outcast Rhonda, played by Rachel Griffiths. And the two move from their small Australian town to the big city of Sydney, where Muriel changes her name to Mariel, and begins the audacious task of redesigning her life to match her fantasies. Um, oh. What a comfort film this is. Such a good one. <laughs> Flick, what do you think of Muriel's
1: wedding? That is a perfect way to put it. Having said that, it is pretty bleak as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, it like is. rewatching yep. it. Um, uh-huh. The scene that always, again, this is one of my childhood faves, but uh, the scene that always sticks with me is when her poor, long suffering mother. Um, is walking through the supermarket. Yeah. And it's a low yep. shot, um, a close up over the back of her feet, like in these really tight shoes, and she takes takes them off and tries on a pair of um flip flops, but walks out of the supermarket mm. wearing them. And it's just this feeling of I think the portrayal of um poverty and emotional poverty in this film is so richly felt. I was really yep. um, uh, it's. I, a stirring film and a very powerful film and um so many amazing ABBA covers and performances which (laughs) seems to be a bit of the theme of tonight's episode but uh there's also this real darkness to like suburbia in Australia I mean Bill Hunter again appears as um (laughs) they're like very um wheeling and dealing sort of father but who just like is constantly telling her and her siblings that they're failures and mm. um but just Muriel is this is this we talked about underdogs but she's a little bit more cunning than other underdogs and yes she's a little bit naughty and it's so <laughs> joyous to see her go out off to this island on like stealing twelve thousand dollars from her dad and I don't know it, apparently the um PJ Hogan, the director, based this um, on uh, his sister who actually embezzled $15,000 from their father So, and then disappeared off to Sydney with a friend. So I loved it. There was this kind of like real-life um, uh, inspiration. For
0: yeah, this. I was reading that he was talking about his father and um, obviously Bill Hunter's character and just saying that he – the character of the father was toned down in Muriel's wedding compared to what his father <laughs> was like. He said his father was an awful person. So oh, wow. when his sister ran off with this money, everyone was angry with her. He's like, but I totally understood why she, why she did
1: yeah. it. She, yeah, there. so, she needed this, to get out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got such a great, I mean, you played the snippet before of her, um these kind of like high school bullies. And I think, um, I'm sure a few of us have had that experience when we're growing up, and it's something so satisfying as the way in which she is kind of still anchored to this past. You know, she even when she kind of is, um, she marries this ridiculously attractive Olympic swimmer, and you kind of (laughs) think that things are going to change. And it's such a great portrayal of the importance of friendship and the the ways in which we try to escape these these um. A past in different ways, but it's also just like a celebration of um, that journey. I, I, it's got a whole lot going on in it. I, yep. I forgot that there's a the moments of it that are just so accurate and so painful, and then they cut to this ridiculous kind of performance of <laughs> Abba on stage. It's like it's, this film has kind of got this dazzling mix. I mean, one of my favorite scenes is um, I remember so distinctly watching this with my family, where um, the sex scene between um, Muriel and this young guy the who picks her up at the video. Yeah, yeah the beanbag. Bag. Yeah. And then the two men that um, Rachel Griffith's character is, is sleeping with come out and hold him down. It's just, it's such a great, like, slapstick scene. But, it is. But um, so wonderful as well.
0: Stewie, what are your thoughts on Muriel's wedding?
2: Well, I love that Bill Hunter appears again. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was watching this uh, with my boyfriend, I think, on Friday night, um, and he joked that Bill Hunter is the Julia Roberts of Australian cinema. <laughs> like um, and you know, the, he was, <laughs> oh, you know he
1: was filming it at the same time. Oh, as, really? um, yeah, 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 oh. as Priscilla. <laughs> uh,
2: the uh, the lead Hotel uh, once had a costume party and um, a friend of mine went dressed as the mother from the wedding. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, really? As oh, as what a great Rachel costume. looking sad. Um, but... <laughs> Um, I do agree that it is, I think, probably the most bleakest film of The Glitter Cycle, um, mm. but I think that also is perhaps why it's so funny because there are moments of such intense sadness um, and then when we get someone like, you know, Sophie Lee um, with the, with many of her great one-liners such as, I'm a bride, I'm meant to be euphoric. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's in this oh so good I love good. the
1: um let, let her finish her orgasm yeah let her finish
0: her <laughs> orgasm <Well>, i <I'm> beautiful <laughs>
2: um that, it's so funny because it's such a real cathartic release from the sadness that we previously mm. had um I think it's so uh, yeah it's such a beautiful film um and I do love once again that uh we're never laughing at Muriel um mm. and which is a nice sort of I guess thread throughout all of these films, um, yeah. And growing up, I think, I think I actually identified with this film maybe more than any of the others.
0: I, I felt like I felt like that as well. If if I'm looking at it, characters to identify with out of these films, mm. it would definitely, I think, be Muriel.
2: Yeah, but I think sort of maybe even as a, a queer person, like I never got to see Pier Priscilla until I was at university. For some yep. reason. Um, it was not banned in the house or anything. Um, but it was something about sort of being in suburbia and kind of wanting to get to the city and mm-hmm. um, and sort of discover who you are and uh, it's such a, I, I think it's a very Australian thing that I think mm-hmm. for um, a lot of people in this country. So, um, yeah, I love this film. It's such a beautiful uh, story.
0: It is and one thing that, I really think is why this film is Um, so many people love this film and one of the reasons why is I think that Muriel's such a three-dimensional character she she's got so many flaws she does so many shitty things throughout the film not just with the money but to her friends not you know her true friends Rhonda um which is you know to her is human she's a very human character and Mm. i think that that's one of the really huge strengths of this film is that she's not um a flawless heroine that we are used Mm -hmm. to seeing in cinema and yeah that's what i really love about it it's also interesting that we mentioned before australian films comedy is like crocodile dundee and that you know, being very successful, and this is, Muriel's wedding is very su- successful here as well as overseas. Um, taking away, I guess, that Australian sort of masculinity at the time, and putting. Females at the forefront of this comedy, and um, yeah, looking at how it kind of all pans out, it's really gorgeous.
1: And also, having um, I think it was this was one of my first um, on screen representations of a woman in a wheelchair that actually had a fully formed sort of character arc to her, and it was talking about. It was very much like not self pitying. That's kind of that fantastic line that Rachel Griffith says, where she's like, I'm not dead.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: It, it's kind cool. of, I thought that was really powerful. It really stuck with me. Mm.
2: And Twenty yeah. Collette is so good in this film. Oh,
1: she's like, amazing.
2: Just like, like watching her face and like the, 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 her timing in this mm. film is so spot on. Like, and
1: surprisingly young.
2: <laughs> yeah. When she's like constantly correcting people like Mario. Um, actually, it's Mario, um, Is so, <laughs> and uh, I would like the when she dresses up with Rachel Griffiths as Abba, it's such an interesting transformation. Even in that uh, that the sort of that lip sync that they do, because she starts off being so awkward and then you know develops loose, more yeah. enjoyable and and lovable and um, sort of loving sort of when she's performing. It's um, yeah, it's so much fun.
0: Uh, had, what had she done sort of prior to this, Tony Collette? Anything much? I I don't know if I've seen her Hi. in anything before this.
2: No, I, I haven't sure. seen it, um yeah from anything of her. Yeah, of
0: this. yeah, but um yeah, it really launched of course her career and Rachel Griffiths as well. So Muriel's Wedding, gorgeous little film. If you're wanting to revisit it, um, it is available. Um, to stream on Foxtel or to rent or buy on Apple TV. Uh, you've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flickford, Ford, Stewie Richards, and myself, Sally Christie. We discussed three uh, Australian films that really redefined uh, redefine Australian cinema, which was Strictly Ballroom, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Muriel's Wedding, also known as The Glitter Cycle. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Um, Next week we are looking at music doco, so keep an eye out on our social media for what those are, so just Primal Screen on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, you'll find us. A special thanks to the wonderful Carl Chapman for panelling the show.